Hi guys, and welcome to this Endo Life, episode 126. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an Endo Warrior, an Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, I want to thank our first sponsor today, BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream. And they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care, in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically and they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients if my clients are going through a flare-up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief you know in that current moment And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through a interstitial cystitis flare up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. Um, and if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's B E younline.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. Happy Endometriosis Awareness Month. I can't believe it's come around again so soon. If you are not following me on Instagram, I'm doing a series of lives on Instagram at the moment, one a week, and the general topic that I'm focusing on this Endometriosis Awareness Month is really about gut health and SIBO in these interviews because gut health is so closely tied to pelvic pain, as you probably know from all of my past episodes. And so I wanted, in case you don't listen to Uh, in case you're not following me on Instagram or in case you're just not really into watching Instagram TV um, videos, then I am sharing my most recent live that I did last week on my journey so far with endometriosis and SIBO. So I am three rounds into my SIBO treatment and I've been getting lots and lots of requests to update you guys on where I'm at. So I thought I would just take you through what, how I found the treatment so far, what treatments I've chosen, what's coming up next for me, and really just my experience as both a practitioner of SIBO, but as a patient of SIBO. Um, so I hope you find it helpful. But what I really want to kind of caveat here is that a live is different from how I record a podcast. I spend hours, if not days, preparing a podcast episode where I do like all of this research, I write out all of the notes. It's a very carefully planned approach to the episodes. Whereas 
alive, I like it to be more relaxed and conversational and a bit more off the cuff. So this live is, if you want kind of a step-by-step process on SIBO healing, listen to my interview with Dr. Alison Seebecker. If you want to know how to test specifically, listen to my episode on how to test for SIBO. If you want to know how to heal your gut, listen to my episodes on the endo belly. This is more about my personal experience with SIBO so far, as in the treatment. And I do give you guys like, basically to put it in context, I kind of explain to you the steps of the treatment as I go through. So you understand why I'm talking about what I'm talking about, but it is my personal experience and it is kind of off the cuff. And because it's off the cuff, I, one of my um, course students watched this video. We actually have a whole module on SIBO, but we're not on that module yet because that's module 10. And um, she watched this before the module and it panicked her because she took this video to to mean that I was struggling and she was worried like, oh, you know, Jess, you're doing everything perfectly and yet you're struggling. And I jumped on Facebook Live really quickly to talk to her about it. And I said, you know, I'm not doing everything perfectly. Don't ever look at me as a perfect example because I have so many other things going on in my life as well. And I kind of explained a lot of a lot that you guys already know about stress and trauma and anxiety that I have experienced throughout my life and how that has impacted on my gut health because stress basically turns your digestive system off, which basically allows bacteria to accumulate. So my kind of response at the time was, maybe it sounds like I'm struggling to you because you don't know everything else that's going on for me. You know, I'm I'm in in therapy at the moment. And so I'm actually dealing with quite a lot as well as treating my SIBO. So the stress is probably having an impact on my gut. But then I was thinking about it more after this Facebook Live that I did with my group. And I actually want to jump on again to talk to them again and be like, everything that I said in that last Facebook Live was true. I am dealing with a lot. And that will be having an impact on my gut. But I don't see myself as struggling with this treatment. And I don't want it to come across as I'm struggling in this Instagram live that you're gonna hear in a moment. I was being honest, but I think people will always take, you know, everyone has their own perceptions of what you say, right? You could talk to your friend about something and they completely take it in a different way. So I don't want my honesty to impact on your perception of managing SIBO or treating SIBO. Your journey with treating SIBO might be 10 times easier than mine is. You might only have to treat it, um, you know, do one treatment. But basically what I want to say is that I don't see myself as struggling. I'm doing a normal SIBO protocol. It takes on average three rounds, like on average at minimum three rounds. But we know with methane type SIBO and hydrogen sulfide SIBO, it often takes more more than that because those two are trickier to treat. So, you know, I'm, I'm only on treatment free, so I'm not struggling there. That's just normal. Anyone would be doing that. Um, and on top of that, I had problems with 
you'll understand in a moment when I explain what these are, um, a type of medication called prokinetics because they were triggering my interstitial cystitis symptoms. Now, hopefully you guys don't have bladder pain or if you choose to take ginger prokinetics, those ones don't trigger you. But if you are concerned about taking a ginger prokinetic, you can always reach out to me and ask me, do you know what, I'm just gonna tell you guys now, my ginger prokinetic that I now take is integrative therapeutics. And I think it's just called MMC. Um, you can find it on Dr. Alison Seebecker's website on her list of prokinetics. She lists integrative therapeutics. That's the one I take and that one now doesn't give me bladder pain. So it took me a couple of um, prokinetic formulas to find one that didn't give me more bladder pain, but I got there in the end and that's just part of me living with IC, right? I get bladder pain every day and that's why I'm treating my SIBO because I know I need to get rid of the SIBO to get on top of the bladder pain. So that's just a complication that I face, but I don't really see it as struggling I'm not struggling, that's just the reality of what I'm living with, if that makes sense. I had bad die-off symptoms in the beginning, but as I mentioned, I also had mold exposure at exactly the same time. So, and burnout as well. Um, so I ended up being sick for about a month, but I'm not like that now. I don't have, since then, I've only really been getting stronger um, and I don't have, those, that level of die-off symptoms. The die-off symptoms that I have now are um, more like IBS symptoms um, and the predominant thing is bloating. So I just feel pretty bloated. Like as soon as I eat breakfast, I'm bloated, but I don't feel pain with bloating personally. It doesn't hurt me. I've lived with bloating since I was like two. So again, I don't see myself as struggling. It's a bit of a pain as in not a physical pain, but it's a bit annoying to be this bloated. Um, I'm looking forward to not being bloated, but I don't, again, I don't see it as struggling. Bloating is part of the treatment a lot of the time. Um, and there are many, many things that you can do to reduce the bloating, um, basically die off prevention. And I list them in the um, conversation in the Instagram live. The key is basically being prepared for what you're doing for the treatment you're gonna choose and for making sure you have die-off prevention methods to support you. And um, I would really recommend kind of working with someone or following a course so that, like the ones that I've mentioned in the past by Dr. Alison Seebecker or Dr. Narala Jacoby, so that you feel confident in the steps that you're taking. And I would also really recommend SIBO Made Simple and then there's another one, I think it's called Your SIBO Journey. I can't remember, I'll find the name and I'll put it in the podcast uh, notes. And I would just read those beforehand as well. So you're really well equipped. If you get any weird things that come up, you kind of know how to troubleshoot. But I just wanna say like, I don't see myself as struggling. I appreciate why it might have seemed like that, but I want to reassure you guys that I don't see myself as struggling. I see this as a natural process of treating SIBO. It's a complicated condition to treat. That's just the way it is, but I'm not like on my knees with it. I just reiterate that it is a long process and it can be tricky so that you guys can manage your expectations and you're not expecting it to be solved overnight because it's not that kind of condition. 
students in my group are absolutely wonderful and I've chatted with them and reassured um, my lovely member who was a bit scared by listening to this Instagram live because she she strongly suspects she's had SIBO, she's got SIBO. But we had a chat about it and when they heard my explanation about how stressed I am and how I think that's kind of turning off my migrating motor complex, then everyone, yeah, they kind of weren't worried. But um, I just want to make sure that you also don't come out at the end of this podcast and you're worried because you think that I'm struggling and yet I'm doing everything perfect because I'm not doing everything perfectly. I'm just, you know, doing my best um, and I don't feel like I'm struggling. So I just wanted to make that clear because I think when I jumped on this Facebook Live with my group, I didn't state explicitly that I didn't see myself as struggling. I just kind of talked about how I think stress is probably affecting like my, my migrating motor complex. So I just wanted to kind of add that in. I don't feel like I'm struggling um, in case that's how you interpret this live. So anyway, now I've cleared that up. I hope you find this live useful. Let me know if you would like me to do more episodes on my healing journey with SIBO and more episodes on SIBO in general. And I will see you next week. I'm assuming if you're here, you're interested in... SIBO with endometriosis, which as some of you guys may already know, um, I have both. Um, and I was diagnosed with endo when I was 24, but I was only diagnosed with SIBO last year. And you can listen to like my SIBO journey so far, like up until diagnosis on my podcast. Um, I think it's just called my SIBO journey. So if you want to kind of go through all of those details, then you totally can listen, all of the symptoms. Um, but just to give you kind of an overview, I was, I've basically tracked my history back and I believe that I developed SIBO when I was two. And I had gastroenteritis and I was hospitalized for it. Um, and that is one of the leading causes of SIBO. And I kind of always knew something was wrong, but I cut out dairy and gluten when I started managing endometriosis and it made a huge difference. It made my symptoms livable. But prior to that, I was they caused me a lot, a lot of issues. Um, but I still continued to get sick. I continued to get nutrition, um, nutrient deficiencies and you know chronic fatigue and all of these different symptoms and then I developed chronic bladder pain and histamine intolerance there was something else going on and all of my symptoms were pointing to SIBO um, and luckily I was training in it at the time to be able to recognize all of the symptoms and one of the signature symptoms of SIBO is bloating so for any of you who don't know what SIBO is, SIBO is when the normal gut microbiome, so you know when people say like, oh, feed your gut, like have a healthy microbiome, good bacteria, all of that. That bacteria should be in your large intestine. Now your intestine is made of your small intestine and your large intestine. Your small intestine is where most of your nutrients are absorbed. And then some final nutrient absorption occurs in your large intestine, but it's also where like your stools are made and waste is disposed of and, and all of that 
So your good bacteria should be in your large intestine. And SIBO occurs when there is an accumulation of that bacteria in your small intestine for some reason. And what happens is your small intestine is not designed to house bacteria. It's supposed to house like a very small amount they're finding now in recent research, but it's not supposed to host a lot. And what this does is the SIBO eats our food and it's bacteria and it ferments the food and the gases that are released during the fermentation process is what does the damage. So that bacteria releases methane gas, hydrogen gas or hydrogen sulfide. Some of these gases in certain amounts are fine and healthy in our large intestines, so like hydrogen, but methane shouldn't be in the body at all, um, in the small or large intestine and hydrogen sulfide in certain levels is toxic as well to the body. So you have three types of SIBO. Methane, which is actually called methanogen overgrowth or methanogen bloom, um, hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide. Up until last year, we could only test for hydrogen and methane. We can now test at least in America for hydrogen sulfide. And I'm, I'm hoping they're gonna roll out that test to the rest of the world soon. But there are ways to identify whether you have hydrogen sulfide without the test. Now, in my podcast episodes, you can listen to that. I've got tons of articles on SIBO now as well. And I have an interview with Dr. Alison Seebeck and my tutor. So you can kind of have a listen to all of those. But um, what I will say is for a general overview of SIBO symptoms, um, bloating is a signature sign especially bloating that gets worse over the day as the day goes on because you're eating and then your SIBO is getting fed. So there's more gas accumulating right through the day. Acid reflux is a symptom. Um, nausea is a symptom. Constipation, diarrhea. Now, when I say constipation and diarrhea, I'm talking about on the spectrum. So you don't just have to have constipation like you haven't been to the toilet in a week or the diarrhea is like really bad, like you've got food poisoning. It, it's a spectrum. If you think about if your stool is really hard to pass or it's cracked or it's like pellets or stones um, or it hurts to pass, you're leaning towards constipation. So you would, you know, you could have methane and have those symptoms. Uh, you could have SIBO, especially methane type SIBO, and have those symptoms. Or you could be having loose stools, watery stools, um, really like soft or like um, pudding type stools rather than just completely watery diarrhea. Um, yes, Elisa is diagnosed with a breath test. I'll tell you guys about that in a minute. And in fact, you can just go to, um, if you Google my name and how to test for SIBO, I've got an article and a podcast under how to test for SIBO. And it takes you all through it, literally how to do it step by step. Um, so those are some of your classic symptoms, burping as well, gas. You don't have to have all of them. So, and you, they don't have to be super severe. You can just have some of them. And in terms of hydrogen sulfide, there are some extra symptoms and not for everyone, but there are often like these kind of classic symptoms that we look for. And that's for bladder irritation, frequency, urgency, irritation. So like interstitial cystitis symptoms, histamine intolerance symptoms. So maybe you break out in rashes and hives. Um, maybe you have vomiting, like 
itchy skin, feeling like things are crawling on your skin. There's a lot of different racing heart palpitations. There's quite a lot of different histamine intolerance symptoms. And I would advise you to have a look at Dr. Becky Campbell's um, Instagram if you want to learn more about that. Or I have quite a number of podcasts on histamine intolerance as well, because that is one of the things that I developed as, um, after having SIBO. And then you're also looking at things like tingling in your hands and feet and arms and legs, um, dizziness, uh, trying to think about the other ones. Oh, sulfur smelling gas because hydrogen sulfide is a sulfur. So you can often have like eggy smelling gas. So those are some of the classic hydrogen sulfide signs, but um, it doesn't, you don't have to have all of them. And diarrhea is more classic with hydrogen sulfide. You might have if you have methane type SIBO and hydrogen sulfide, then you might sometimes get constipation and you might sometimes get diarrhea because methane generally tends to lead to more constipation. So that's just an overview of the symptoms. Um, does that make sense? Is that clear? I will give you guys, um, yeah, as I said, if you go through like my articles, just Google my name and SIBO, you'll get lots of articles and you'll get lots of um, podcasts on it. So I'm just going to take a sip of water. Some of the leading causes or two of the leading causes of SIBO are a slow migrating motor complex and some kind of structural problem. Um, yeah, I know. So interesting about the ISC, right? Um, that was kind of how I started piecing my puzzle together. So, um, with the migrating motor complex, what that is, you've probably heard me talk about it in podcasts. The migrating motor complex is a wave-like kind of motion that occurs in the small intestine that moves old bacteria and old food from the small intestine into the large intestine. Your food by this point, the bulk of your food has already moved out the small intestine into the large intestine. This is just the leftovers, right? So imagine like you've eaten your dinner and this is like you're washing the plates down. There's no food left on the plate, but you're doing the washing up now. This is what the migrating motor complex does. When that is damaged, which can happen from food poisoning, gastroenteritis, hyperthyroidism, um, diabetes, spinal trauma, brain trauma, these could just literally be bangs to the head or bangs to the spine. There's a number of different reasons why the migrating motor complex might get damaged. Then what happens is the small intestine can't clear bacteria, so you get an accumulation. Then the other leading cause is having a structural problem. And of course, in the case of endometriosis, we often have adhesions. So if you have adhesions that are affecting the way that your um, digestive tract is moving, if your small intestines can't move things through properly because say like an adhesion is pulling one side of an intestine to, to another and there's like a loop or there's a kink, then bacteria can start to accumulate within these loops and within these kinks. So as a result, adhesions and endometriosis are a common cause of SIBO. But what's very interesting is, is that they found the bacteria of SIBO, the kind of toxins that come from the bacteria of SIBO in the pelvic cavity of people with endometriosis. And they've, and they've also found that those toxins accelerate endometriosis growth. They've also found that people with endometriosis have a slow migrating motor, a slow migrating motor complex 
in their small intestine. So there is now some kind of question as to whether having SIBO actually triggers the onset of endometriosis. I don't think we're very clear on this yet. And I think it could, it's a bit of a chicken or the egg scenario, right? Like, could there have been SIBO before that triggered the endo to start? Or could it have been that you had endo and then there's adhesions? I would be interested to find out why these people that they used in the study all had damage to their migrating motor complex, but that is going to take further research. We don't really have enough information about that. But what happened to me is that I got gastroenteritis that damaged the nerves and the muscles of my small intestine. So my migrating motor complex um, basically didn't fail completely because you would die if that happened, but it um, it slowed down to the point that I could accumulate SIBO because I've had SIBO symptoms since then. Since I was two, I've had SIBO symptoms. So that's why from all of the kind of education and training I've done, I can reasonably assume that that's when mine started. Um, so now I'm kind of treating it finally after getting a diagnosis. I got my diagnosis in May last year, March. And my methane levels were, not, it, my levels actually weren't crazy high. 40 parts per million for methane and 24 parts per million for hydrogen. Um, and I couldn't test for hydrogen sulfide. Yeah, stress can, can slow down the migrating motor complex. There are loads of causes behind migrating motor complex problems. And you have to use kind of stress relief tactics in the prevention stage, which I'll get to in a bit. Um, so, uh, I couldn't test for hydrogen sulfide because I don't have the test over here, but I spoke to Dr. Alison Seebeck and we both could reasonably assume from all of my symptoms that I also had hydrogen sulfide. So I was dealing with all three. Now with SIBO, it's a lot like endo. You can have, you know, you can have tons of endo and have no symptoms, or you can have a little bit of endo and have all of the symptoms. And it's the same with SIBO. You can have a little amount of SIBO and all of the, um, and loads of symptoms, or you can have tons of SIBO and not feel too much. It's likely you will have some symptoms, but maybe your symptoms just don't feel too severe to you. Now, my levels were sort of medium, um, like low is sort of like 20, parts per million yeah your SIBO your methane levels were 83 I've seen like methane levels at like 117 like really high um high you're looking at like 150 to 100 is medium so somewhere in that region now when it comes to treatment you're looking at antimicrobial herbs antibiotics or something called the elemental diet the elemental diet is a liquid diet for two to three weeks, which basically is all of your nutrients that you need and all of the calories that you need in a um, pre-digested form so that you get to eat, you get to be nourished and you don't starve, but the bacteria starve. So all you are drinking for two to three weeks is this shake and the food the like liquid is instantly absorbed through the gut barrier so you get fed and the bacteria starve now with anti antimicrobials and the antibiotics they reduce your levels by 30 parts per million on average so parts per million is just the number that we the measurement that we use um 
So if you look on your test results, it will say PPM. And so on average, antimicrobials and antibiotics reduce by about 30 parts per million and the elemental diet reduces by 70 parts per million. So you can actually work out roughly how many treatment rounds you might need. Um, but usually we need on average about three at minimum. Obviously, if someone had much more extensive SIBO, then it would probably take longer. At minimum, we're usually looking on average at about three rounds. So I kind of knew from what I was looking at, you know, in the ideal scenario, I would, given that my highest level is 40 parts per million, I would do one round of antimicrobials and it would be done. But we know that SIBO doesn't really work like that. SIBO is difficult to treat. It often takes multiple rounds um, and methane is harder to treat than hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide is the hardest to treat of all. Um, and you might not react to one type of treatment as well as the other treatment. So just like endo, people respond differently. So someone might have, you know, your say your friend has SIBO and they use like oregano they might, it might do wonders for them, but you try oregano and it does nothing for you or you have a really bad reaction. It really depends on the type of bacteria you have, um, just and just your body, it just really depends. So as a result, when you start treating SIBO, you really need to come to peace with the fact that this is probably gonna be a long process and you need to be in the right mindset to be to, to be able to take that on, which is why I didn't start treating mine until October, even though I got diagnosed in March or, or May, somewhere around that time. I wanted time to really think about it and get into a good place with it to prepare. So, um, I also want to let you guys know that, and again, when you, if you want to listen to my podcast and learn more about SIBO overall and not just my experience, um, I talk about it all in there, but just to give you an overview, SIBO is chronic in two thirds of patients and only, um, and then one third are not, not chronic. So basically what this means is expect to relapse, right? So expect when you get that all clear, that from within two months to a year, you will likely relapse. Now, if that happens, don't worry. It's part, basically part of it. If that happens, what it means is you're in the two thirds and we now need to retreat and investigate as to why you are relapsing. Because what that means, if you're relapsing, it means that there's a root cause that is causing you to relapse and it might be adhesions that you can do some work on. And if you get those sorted, you know, if you have visceral manipulation therapy and it manages to clear all of those adhesions, you might then move into the one third that are no longer chronic. You might never relapse again. Now, if you have migrating motor complex damage, then that might be a bit more complicated. And it might, we might be able to improve it a little bit, but you might need kind of constant support to keep your migrating motor complex going um, so that you don't constantly relapse throughout your life. Now, just because you're chronic doesn't mean you can't feel well. I promise you, promise you, promise you that you can. Dr. Alison Seebecker is a perfect example. We actually have similar stories. We, we both developed SIBO when we were children and she can eat really normally now. Her symptoms are totally at ease. She doesn't have any um, nutrient deficiencies anymore. I'm very early into my treatment, so I can't speak 
you know, from that experience, I suspect I'm going to relapse and I suspect that I'm going to be chronic because I think my migrating motor complex was so damaged at that point. So don't worry if you if you do relapse. Firstly, know that's to be expected. It doesn't mean it failed or you did anything wrong. It means now you need to work with a practitioner or use a patient course or read a SIBO book that's developed by a practitioner to help you identify what your root cause is, then can that root cause be solved? If it can, brilliant. You move into the one third of people who aren't chronic. If it can't be, then there are ways to manage it and you would need to work with someone to support you and then get your SIBO as low as possible or get into remission for as long as possible before you need to treat again. Because often what happens with chronic, with chronic cases is that they are in remission for a really long time, but then they they get moments where they feel the SIBO coming back and then you need to add in a little bit of, um, they need to add in a little bit of treatment. Um, I'm getting quite a lot of questions coming up. So, and they're moving quite quickly. So what I'm gonna do is save your questions for the end and then I'll ask, answer them at the end, but I'll kind of go over an update of my experience and then I'll do the questions because there are just so many coming through at once. Um, so don't worry, I've got your, um, I'm not sure of what your name is, but J300JEL, I've got your question written down because you sent it in. So don't worry, I've got that. Um, so I decided to go with antimicrobials. Being an endo and SIBO health coach, I wanted to experience basically as much as I could um, for myself and I can't prescribe I can't prescribe antibiotics so it made more sense for me to try antimicrobials because I wouldn't be prescribing antibiotics to my clients so I went with antimicrobials first and the treatment option that I went with first was high dose oregano because that treats hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide and then I combined that with um, antrentil which treats the methane. So I did that for four weeks. Now, when you're looking at treatment round of antimicrobials, you're looking at four to six weeks. However, at about five weeks, you can tend to start seeing resistance. So the um, basically the, the SIBO start to develop a resistance and it stops working on them. So I just did it for four weeks. Um, and so, I took time off when I did that because I was concerned that I would have die off. So die off is when the SIBO starts dying, like imagine a cell, right? So this is a cell and a, you know, bacteria is one, one cell thick. Now their, their like wall is made of a couple of different things, but one of the things that they're made out of is endotoxin or lipopolysaccharides. And it's those lipopolysaccharides that have been found in the pelvic cavity of people with endo and that has shown to work with estrogen to accelerate endometriosis growth. Now, anyway, what happens is when the SIBO dies, they sort of, you know, breaks down, sort of explodes in your, in your small intestine. And these pieces of endotoxin just float into your small intestine and then they seep through your gut barrier because the likeness is if you've got SIBO, then you've got leaky gut. And that's when you start to get holes 
in your back in your gut lining so the lining that the skin that protects that basically encases your you know your intestines and separates your intestines from the rest of your body and it stops baddies from coming through it stops like pathogens and viruses and food poisoning from going into the rest of your body and so as a result you've got this you've got holes in your gut lining right leaky gut this endotoxin makes its way through the gut barrier and the immune system is on the other side waiting to attack any baddies that do manage to get through and endotoxin is really inflammatory to us so your immune system flares up just like your immune system would if you had a flu virus or cold so what happens is you start feeling ill um so you end up feeling like really fatigued feverish like you've got a headache aches and pains like you've got a cold and what can also happen is you have a worsening or SIBO symptoms so if you start treating your SIBO and you get a worsening of symptoms, that doesn't mean it's not working, it means it is. It means the SIBO is dying. So if you're bloating, I'm so bloated right now. Um, I would show you, but it just, it feels so bad. I just, I just don't wanna do it. So um, when you're treating, it is likely that you're gonna get a lot of bloating, or you might not, but if you do get bloating, it's not a bad sign, it's a good sign, it means it's, it means it's working. Now, I took time off because I suspected that I was going to have die off. It's very common. It doesn't always last that entire time. It can last for three to seven days. Um, sometimes for some people it lasts the entire time. There are things that you can do to counteract that. And that's basically like calming the immune system down, using anti-inflammatory supplements like curcumin and fish oil, vitamin C, eating a really antioxidant rich diet, making sure you're resting, having um, saunas or Epsom salt baths or exercising so you're sweating the toxins out. You can also um, actually do something called a bi the biphasic SIBO diet before you start antimicrobial treatment because it sort of kills off some of the bacteria in stages so you're not killing it all in one go you're sort of um, staggering the death of SIBO. So you don't have a sudden like, you know, influx of these endotoxins into your body. I didn't do the biphasic diet um, because I knew that I was going to be doing this for a long time and I didn't want to be doing the biphasic for that long after last year I was, I mean, I still am, but last year I was on quite, I was on the low histamine diet and low oxalate for quite a long time. Um, so I decided I didn't want to do that level of restriction for that long. So I didn't do the biphasic first, but I took time off and I had um, lots of anti-inflammatories. And I also had things like charcoal, um, activated charcoal capsules to basically absorb the uh, LPS, so their endotoxins. Um, I also had a detox formula to help bind the toxins as well. So I used those, but um, it was really rough. Now, unfortunately, at the same time, I didn't realise I was also suffering from mould exposure. So I don't know whether I got really, really sick from the mould exposure or the die-off or combined happened together at the same time. What I do know is when I addressed the mould exposure, I was so much better like 80% better in two days so there's I def I'm still struggling with mold exposure but like the worst of it um 
we reduce we managed to like find the mold and stuff so i can't tell you whether how much of what i was dealing with was die off or mold exposure but i ended up being really really unwell and i was like in bed the entire time um i couldn't really walk for more than like 10 minutes um like trying to get out for a walk i was just i'd shower and i'd have to go back to bed um and i do think the majority of that the severity of that was was mold um but there was definitely some die off and it makes sense right this SIBO has been i'm 33 the SIBO has been in my small intestine since I was two. So it was like fighting for dear life, you know? So no wonder I had really bad die off. So I, I know that my clients don't have die off like I had. Um, I don't think any of my clients had die off like I had, um, but it is something to be aware of, but just know there's a lot that you can do, right? Anti-inflammatories, biophasic diet, saunas, Epsom salt baths, sweating, there's so much you can do. So don't freak out about that. Um, it, it can just feel like you've got a bit of a cold and bloating. So I did that for four weeks and then I did a two week break. Um, because you do a two week break to kind of see where you are with progress, like see what happened while, like, you know, once you're off it, what are your symptoms saying? And it also gives your, um, microbiome a chance to like survive, like replenish. And also it stops resistance from occurring. So I did this two week break and in between your treatment, you do, you take a prokinetic and a prokinetic is either a pharmaceutical or a natural supplement that basically increases the migrating motor complex. And so it helps move the bacteria out um, from the small intestine. And this is to stop you from relapsing. Um, Amina, the shake. So there's different there's different companies, but I'll cover that in the SIBO module that we do in the course, because there's a few different companies and you might need a prescription and stuff like that. Um, so the, um, sorry, I've lost my trailer thought. Where was I? Okay, prokinetics. So the prokinetics are essential. They are absolutely essential for between your treatment rounds because people tend to relapse at two weeks. So say you were at a hundred parts per million and you managed to get your levels down to 70 parts per million in one treatment round, then you can start to backslide. So you can start to go back, like it can start to grow back between that two week break to like 80 parts per million. So the prokinetics stop that from happening. And two weeks is basically the maximum you can really do that break um, before you really start to backslide. So you've, you've, you've usually got two weeks on your side with a prokinetic. Now what I've now noticed, now I've done the break twice, is that I'm I'm like rapidly relapsing. I can only manage probably about a week. And the reason why you you can begin to notice it because you start getting new SIBO symptoms or old SIBO symptoms return and it it isn't subtle. Like the first time you have your break, you might be like, oh, this is different. I guess it's because I'm not on my antibiotics now or whatever it is. And then the second time you start to notice a pattern. So I noticed with my two breaks, I started having SIBO symptoms that I'd never had before within a week. 
um, of coming off the pro of coming off the treatment. So what that tells me is that prokinetics that I'm taking is not strong enough. And unfortunately I'm rapid, I'm relapsing quite quickly. So that's why I suspect that I'm probably going to be chronic. Um, so the pharmaceutical prokinetics, um, obviously you need to get through prescription. If you're on the NHS, that's quite difficult to do because um, not many, unfortunately, SIBO is where we were with endometriosis about 10 years ago. Like, you know, you're having to spell endometriosis out to your GP. They don't believe it or like they come up with really random things like, oh, it's a working white woman's disease and stuff like that. SIBO is in that place right now where GPs don't believe in it um or they haven't heard of it they don't know what it is they don't know how to treat it so trying to get hold of the pharmaceutical prokinetics in the on, on the nhs is quite difficult i don't mean that you shouldn't try like take your take your diagnosis take your um test results and take what information you know about prokinetics which you can get from you know my website and and my articles and things um or dr c becker's stuff there are plenty of studies on prokinetics for SIBO so they can't deny that there's no evidence they can't say there's no evidence um but you might have to go for a private practitioner to get prokinetics just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by bu BU make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start, and they really focus on menstrual well-being, and that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays, um, that can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist. So if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, the sleep pillow mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, so if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with 100% um, soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health, and good quality products and I mean obviously I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support so if you're interested in having a look at their range the link is in my show notes um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them be you start soothing period cramps a natural way this episode is also sponsored by my free guide managing endometriosis naturally if you don't know where to start with beginning to take a holistic approach to managing your endometriosis symptoms, then this might help you. Um, if you'd like to download it, just head to the show notes and follow the link and you can get your free copy.
again, I went down the natural route and got natural prokinetics because this is what I would be able to offer my clients, um, unless I'm collaborating with a, you know, a functional doctor, a functional medicine doctor. And in that case, I would refer my clients to them to get that. Um, so the prokinetics for that are natural are mainly based on ginger um, with other kind of motility support and 5-HTP. And my problem was, is that ginger is a brilliant anti-inflammatory for endo, but is a bladder aggravator for people with interstitial cystitis. And for me, it triggers my IC. So I have bought five different prokinetics to try and find ones that weren't bothering my bladder. And the first two week break I went through, I really didn't get any sleep at all because my bladder pain is worse at night. Um, and so the ginger, you take your prokinetic at night. And so the ginger was triggering it at night. I've now found one. So I've not found one, but I have like a list and I worked my way through the list of ginger prokinetics. Um, and I've now found one that I find is better for me. But I, I ended up having to add in extra bladder support. Um, and I actually got so desert harvest super strength freeze dried aloe vera now what's really interesting about this is that uh, interstitial cystitis endo and SIBO are usually found together but they don't work well together in terms of treatment aloe vera can actually aggravate SIBO but super strength aloe vera helps to rebuild the bladder lining so some people can't tolerate with SIBO can't tolerate aloe vera. Luckily, I don't really feel any different on the aloe vera for my gut, I don't think. Um, and it's really, really helped my bladder. So that's made dealing with prokinetics possible. So um, that's just one thing I will mention if you have IC. The other thing I will mention is that natural prokinetics are not often strong enough. So you tend to need to double the prokinetics so you might double brands or double the dosage um dr c becker if you're not working with anyone dr c becker has the dosages on her website so pro so die off was tough prokinetics were tough for me then we recently thank uh because of the new test on hydrogen sulfide they've recently kind of talked about new treatments for hydrogen sulfide because I didn't really know what to treat it with before because we didn't have a test right so we couldn't really measure what was happening so I tried some of the new treatment options and what they found is the bacteria now that they can test it they found that the bacteria that causes hydrogen sulfide is also the bacteria that causes chronic bladder infections so makes sense about the interstitial cystitis, right? So one of the common um, uh, bacteria is E. coli. And E. coli was also one of the bacteria that was found in the pelvic cavity of people with endo. So, I mean, I think in a couple of years, we're gonna find like a, so much more of a connection between this trio and maybe E. coli being in some part behind this not entirety in entirely but um to a degree so 
a lot of the treatments now are treatments that would treat chronic bladder infections because they treat the same bacteria that causes hydrogen sulfide. So I used silver hydrosol, not collodial silver. This is different. This is silver hydrosol. I had to get it from America. Um, so none of this was cheap, unfortunately. Um, thank God that we've been in lockdown because I can't afford to do anything else right now. Um, so, but I'm a business owner, so my salary is, is much lower than most of yours will be. Um, so the silver hydrosol with Uva Ursi. Now, most of the recommendations was to take Uva Ursi as a tincture. So tinctures are like, you know, kind of like alcoholic solutions. When I was doing that, I found that alcohol was aggravating my bladder too much. So I had to find a capsule form of Uva Ursi. The only one I could find was from Holland and Barrett's and some of their supplements are not the best quality and this was their own brand. But I had a look at the ingredients. The dose was actually really good. So I was happy to go ahead with that and it was actually really cheap. So I was like, yay, one thing that's not expensive. So silver hydrosol and Uva Ursi. And then I also combined it with um, this bismuth, uh, complex which is called biofilm phase two advanced and it's now advised that you always take a bismuth um formula for hydrogen sulfide type SIBO because it binds the hydrogen now i wasn't taking that on my first round um because we didn't have that information and now we do and what's really interesting is you know when you eat asparagus and your wee smells like asparagus <laughs> that's the sulfur from the asparagus now when you take bismuth you know it's working because your wee smells like that all of the time and what that shows you is that the hydrogen sulfide is being bound so it's very strong for me and so it tells me that yes there is hydrogen sulfide present um if not you know if not in my gut then certainly in my bladder because my you know my wee is smelling smelling so strong of sulfur so silver hydrosol uh, bismuth complex and uva ursi now i have to say i didn't feel a massive amount from this silver hydrosol and the uva ursi it didn't feel just didn't feel like too much was happening. Yeah, and everyone reacts differently. So I just don't know whether I was reacting to the silver hydrosol that much. So that was my second round. I then did another two week break. Now, normally what we would advise is that you test between every single treatment to see how the treatment's going. But you can give yourself like a, a timeline of like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna test after this amount of time if you can't afford it because the tests are 165 pounds and you know by this time by this rate i would have bought three tests so i haven't i haven't tested yet so i did the second round and then i started my third round because i know on average it takes three rounds and so I've gone back to high dose oregano and this time I'm taking Allison and that treats the methane. So the methane is, um, the methane is treated with the Allison and the hydrogen and the hydrogen sulfide is treated by the high dose oregano. And I'm taking it now in combination with the bismuth formula. So that's the third round. 
and I am in the middle of the third round. I finish on the 15th of, what's the date today? I finish on the 15th of March and then I'm going to do a test. I'm going to do a test and then I'm going to do, um, I'm writing that down, natural, are you in the UK? Because I couldn't find them anywhere. Um, dispensary, natural dispensary. Is that a UK company? Um, so, yeah, so I did, um, so I'm going to retest on my third, brilliant, thank you. I'm going to retest on my, after this treatment and I highly suspect I still have SIBO because my symptoms are still there. And I, I think what might have happened is that I relapsed during that second treatment round. Um, and because I just don't think that that treatment worked very well for me. Or the other thing is that I have something called pissed off methanogen syndrome. So basically this is something to understand as well, really important is that methane will often get worse before it gets better. So methane, um, say like, okay, so for example, my highest level of methane was 40 parts per million. Treat, you know, two treatment rounds, retest, I might not have 70 parts per million methane. And this is just a kind of phenomena that happens with the methane where it's almost kind of hanging on to dear life. And it, for some reason, repopulates and then it starts to go down. So do not get disheartened. If you do this treatment, then you test and your methane is worse. See it through, keep going, keep treating, keep hitting it. You will see those methane levels drop. Unless for some reason, the treatment that you're using doesn't work for you, in which case I would try a different treatment. This is why it's always good to work with a practitioner or, or follow a course, right? If you, can't, if you can't afford to work with a practitioner, I would um, go with, Dr. Alison Seebecker's patient course or go with Dr. Narala Jacoba's patient course. Um, and they're both like Dr. Seebecker's one is about 200 pounds and Dr. Narala Jacoba's one is about 30 pounds. But Dr. Narala Jacoba's one is just about antimicrobials where Dr. Seebecker is the the whole thing, um, the, the entire protocol. So, um, I highly suspect my levels are going to come back as positive. I think that I'm probably dealing with pissed off methanogen syndrome. Plus, I just don't think uva ursine silver hydrosol was very effective for me personally. Um, that's my my gut instinct. Um, but that's not abnormal, right? We know it takes about three rounds on average, and we know that methane's really tough to treat. So I'm not worried. This is just part of it. And what I suspect I'm going to do next is the elemental diet. So I am basically toying at the moment with either doing the elemental diet or doing another round of a new one of the new treatments or a couple of them. Um, it really depends on budget and availability. You're looking at about 700 to a thousand pounds for the elemental diet. Um, so it is a real investment, but I would imagine by this point, um, it's very, very effective. The success rate is about 85%. Um, and I imagine because of the amount of work that I have already done, 
that it is going to kick the SIBO. Um, so I'm, and I would like to be able to do the elemental diet so I can give kind of personal experience to my clients. And, you know, I know it theoretically, but I would like to do it, you know, and, and be able to share my experience there. So I think I'm going to go with the elemental diet and, but we'll see. I just want to have a little more think, but then I will be starting at the end of March on that. And I'll be doing that for two to three weeks. And then you move on to what's called prevention. So once you get an all clear, you move on to prevention. And what this is, is prevention of relapse, because we know that, um, we know that when we are treating SIBO, that two thirds of us are gonna relapse. So we want to prolong that time between relapse so you can like, well, not spend a load of money like every month trying to treat SIBO, but also so you can actually have a chance of potentially being in the one third, you know. So there are a couple of core foundational strategies that should done, be done by everyone for prevention. And this includes meal spacing. So when you eat, that turns off your migrating motor complex for two hours. So meal spacing is basically about um just giving up to five like five ideally five hour gaps between meals and a 12 night overnight fast 12 hour overnight fast so you eat at 8 p.m in the evening and you eat at 8 a.m in the morning um now that can be tailored to the person if the person has a history of eating disorders or blood sugar imbalance or you know or they get hungry quite frequently um i think that i'm probably going to have to tweak mine a little bit um because I have problems with my blood sugar as a result of having SIBO. SIBO can cause more severe blood sugar reactions. Um, so I think I'm going to have to tailor that. But meal spacing is absolutely essential. Prokinetics, absolutely essential. And then some kind of SIBO friendly diet, which is essentially a low carbohydrate, low fiber diet, so that the SIBO doesn't, you're not suddenly feeding um, any leftover bacteria with food and then it can repopulate. And there is a spectrum of the diets that you can try, right? Um, paleo diet is actually low carb on like the kind of lowest end of the spectrum. Low, then you've got like low FODMAP, then you've got like the cedar cyanide diet and then you've got um, the specific carbohydrate diet and then at the top end you've got the biphasic diet and the SIBO specific food guide so there's a spectrum of what you can work on and the idea is that you expand that diet to tolerance as soon as possible but you're looking at this prevention phase for three to six months so I'm going to be doing those three I haven't decided what diet I'm going to do yet I think it's going to depend what my symptoms are saying um, and then on top of that, you want to do um, kind of killing off the bacteria and stomach support. So we do that with hydrochloric acids, so stomach acid support, bitters and digestive enzymes. And then we want to support the structure. So then we bring in something like visceral manipulation. So we want to make sure that that small intestine is able to freely move. So visceral manipulation is a type of massage where they break down adhesions. And I'm actually starting mine soon. As soon as um, lockdown eases, I've got a call on Friday with visceral manipulation therapists. I'm very excited about that. I see 
amazing results from visceral manipulation with my clients. Um, then we want to work on stress as we um, someone brought up stress turns off your migrating motor complex and just turns off your digestive system in general it um, stress can cause leaky gut it can lower your digestive enzymes and it can lower the stomach acid um, and you definitely want to have good stomach acid and good digestive enzymes because that's going to keep bacteria at bay um so i'm going to be taking those guys and i'm going to also be um kind of working on stress management in different ways so you know yoga tai chi meditation all of those things then we also want to stimulate the vagus nerve the vagus nerve is a big nerve that runs from the back of your head down your spine and it controls your uh gut your digestive system if that vagus nerve gets damaged if there's something going on with that then our digestive system can be impaired so that's why if you have a head injury or a spinal trauma that you can develop SIBO and that makes a lot of sense with me. I wonder if my car accident worsened it because I um, I was not unconscious in my car accident twice and I broke my spine. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I'm just kind of the perfect storm <laughs> to develop SIBO. So um, luckily a lot of the stuff that you do for stress reduction also stimulates your vagus nerve so tai chi meditation breath work um and you can do things like loud singing and gargling as well and you can also do stuff to support your nerve to um replenish like taking lion's mane there's quite a lot of strategies there but i try to keep it simple so that my clients don't get overwhelmed because a, a lot of the stress reduction and vagus nerve stimulation crosses over so we can kind of kill two birds with one stone there so that's what I'm going to be doing um and I just want to make sure I haven't missed anything from my story I don't think so that's yeah so that's basically where I'm at I'm going to be starting with the visceral manipulation soon um and I hope that by May I hope I'll have an all clear um and then I will start my prevention i Fully expect to relapse um and that's just going to be have to be part of it um i would say that you need to be in the right headspace to do this i say this to all of my clients because it is a long-term commitment it can be mentally challenging um i'm bloated after every single thing that i eat and i never used to be my bloating was a bit more under control um so i'm dealing with that all the time now and I'm not really worried about that, but I know that that can be distressing for some people. So I think you do need to be in the right headspace for it. Um, you do need to be able to financially afford it. I am making a lot of sacrifices to be able to afford this. Um, so, and I would always recommend that you work with someone or follow guidance from a practitioner. Please guys, whatever you do, just, please don't google and and take stuff from forums I, I saw someone talk about they were treating um thank you they were treating their SIBO by eating um kiwis with skin on like i just i don't know where that came from so don't do that don't treat your SIBO by eating kiwis with the skin on because that's not going to treat your SIBO so that's my story so far um it has been tough but I'm so glad I did it because I have a 
bunch of nutrient deficiencies despite you know when i got my test back last year i was deficient in um vitamins a c d e k omega-3 fatty acids magnesium um fairly low b12 fairly low iron and i supplemented with all of these but my just my digestion just my gut i don't have enough digestive enzymes to take it in obviously having SIBO has caused me to have high um, histamine intolerance which has now caused me to have bladder pain coupled with the fact that i probably have bacteria from SIBO in my small intestine as well so i'm so so glad that i am addressing it but you do have to be in a good headspace to do it i think and you have to understand that it's not going to be easy it isn't going to go away straight away and you're going to have to apply some patience um and it might be a bit of trial and error so that's kind of my my overview but it is a hundred percent worth it and it's going to make life with endo so so much easier and potentially slow down the growth because we know that the toxins from SIBO worsen um worsen endo so yeah that's my overview i've got a couple questions that came in earlier that i wanted to answer so how can SIBO be cured if endo is the root cause so endo isn't really the root cause right it's the adhesions if you're getting adhesions from endo then that's the root cause and adhesions can be dressed addressed with clear passage visceral manipulation, Mercier therapy, essentially anything that is gonna break down those adhesions, some form of visceral manipulation, that's what they all are, barrel method. So you can, if you can get on top of those adhesions then you could move into remission with SIBO. If your migrating motor complex is damaged, then you might not be able to fully solve your SIBO issue. It might be more maintenance moving forward. Um, then someone asked me, do they test, do they retest at two weeks post-treatment or one week post-treatment? Because Dr. C. Becker says one week and the test results, the tests say, the labs say two weeks. So obviously I'm trained with Dr. C. Becker, right? So my training is from that. Um, but what Dr. C. Becker says is you, when you test the first time you test, you have to be off antimicrobials for two weeks at that point and antibiotics and then you test them if you then retest then you can test within that first the two week time frame but she recommends testing between two to six days and not being on prokinetics at the time so if you're going to take your test to stop taking the prokinetics for one to two days because they can sometimes cause false positives but because relapse backsliding can occur so quickly within that two week time frame you don't want to kind of know what your SIBO is saying like two weeks down the line you want to see what the SIBO is saying nearer to the treatment that you've just done so you can actually work out what the treatment has done like has it actually done anything because say your treat say your SIBO got down to 20 parts per million but you missed you didn't test then you tested at two weeks what if you relapsed by that point and now your test results are at 60 parts per million and it and you're like oh that treatment didn't work but it did but you just relapsed quickly does that make sense i can't remember who asked that question but i hope that makes sense let me know 
um, and then how to test for SIBO in the UK. So you can get a private test um, and I link to the labs that I use in my um, podcast episodes, but they're called Smart SIBO Test. I use Smart SIBO Test for all of my clients. I just, I like Emma who runs it and I like the labs that they use. Um, practitioners in the UK, do I recommend any? Obviously, if you have SIBO um, and endo together, you can work with me. Um, Emma from Smart SIBO Test is great. And Tanya Borowski, I think that's how you say her name. Tanya Borowski, she's a functional medicine nutritionist. She is also specialised in SIBO in the UK. Um, I'm certain there are other people who specialise in SIBO, but those are the ones that I kind of admire. Um, and I, collab and I um, collaborate with Emma. And if you go to thehealthygut.com, she is in Australia, but she has a spreadsheet. If you go to her resources page, I think it is, she has a spreadsheet of practitioners who are trained with Dr. Narada Jacobi across the world. And also you don't need to work with a uh, practitioner in the UK. You can work with a practitioner um, anywhere in the world as long as they can legally practice with you because most of it will be done on zoom or skype anyway so you could i would recommend if you if you could i would work with someone underneath dr c becker dr c becker is not taking clients at the moment because she's finishing her book but um she has three doctors underneath her so i would you know if i could work with them that's that's where i would go so that's my feedback on those three questions that came in um i think we might be about to get cut off by Instagram because I think they only let us do an hour, don't they? And that's such change, we'll see. So I'm gonna quickly scroll through some of these last questions that have just come through. Um, Elisa, Elisa, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Do herbs feel more gentle? No, not necessarily. They tend to have worse die-off. You tend to have less die-off with antibiotics, um, at least rifaximin. If you're taking rifaximin with like neomycin or rifaximin with uh, metronidazole, the rifaximin is anti-inflammatory, so it tends to reduce any die-off symptoms. But if you were taking neomycin on its own on metronidazole, you might get die-off. Um, but the... Thanks, Tara. Oh, great. Thank you, Amina. Um, but the antimicrobials tend to come with worse die-off symptoms because they also treat candida fungus loads of different um pathogens basically so if you've got something else that you don't know of the chances are and and that also something that i suspect is probably happening to me right i think that i have fungus issues from the mold exposure um and i think i have biofilms in my bladder so that might be why i had such intense die-off in the beginning but yeah generally the die-off is worse with herbs um Okay, Alyssa, endo, icing, SIBO, hydrogen, 80, 80 parts per million, methane, 20 parts per million, tried safflexin, I think that's rifaximin in the UK, I think they have a different name for it, and had the worst die-off symptoms, major cramping and throbbing and lower right quad with scar tissues from excision, I gave up after three days. So, um, Alyssa, have you... Did you try any um, die-off prevention kind of beforehand, like biphasic diet maybe, 
or um, saunas or antimicrobials. I would also recommend if you are having a lot of cramping and throbbing where scar tissue is that you start the visceral manipulation before you go ahead with um, the antibiotics. Sorry, hitting seven o'clock and my brain is starting to shut down. Those cortisol levels are lowering. Uh, when I'm over Ursi, what is your favorite resource for vegan guides to low carb diets? Um, Dr. Ruscio has, let me try and remember the name of the page. If you look up Dr. Ruscio leaky gut diet, like, yeah, leaky gut diet, he has a page and at the bottom, he takes you through like options. And at the bottom of the page, he has links to low carb diets for different people. And he has links to vegetarian and vegan low carb diets. So I would definitely check that out. Um, but if you are doing this for SIBO, then Dr. Narala Jacoby has a vegan and a vegetarian biphasic diet protocol. And you could obviously just tailor um, the SIBO specific food guide to vegan or vegetarian. That's what I would recommend there. Um, Uber Ursi question. Uh, no, you're welcome. Um, I would just, okay, J300JEL. Let me know your name because I don't want to keep not saying your name. Um, so remi remind me what your Uber Ursi question is and I'll answer it now. Um, Elisa, no, nothing ahead other than the prebiotics. Okay, good tips. So much good info here. Thank you so much. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm really glad. I wasn't sure if I was boring people with my story. Um, gel. Okay, gel. So let me know about your Uber Ursi question because there's so much going on. Like, I, it would be difficult for me to scroll up. Um, okay, yeah. And the thing is, the prebiotics could have made you feel worse because some people can't tolerate prebiotics with SIBO. Um, so I would have a look at who has good resources on die-off. Well, try what I've suggested so far. Um, I would imagine if you do Dr. Seebecker's course, and in fact, Dr. Norala Jacoby's course for sure, both of them will talk about die-off prevention. So I'd have a look at those. Die-off can be an absolute bitch. So you really, I just don't think anyone should go into it without having some die-off prevention um, on their side. Um, is SIBO linked to adenomyosis too? Not from what I know in the um, literature, in the research, I've not seen that as a link. and. I don't think Dr. Seebeck arranged it in my training either. So because I I guess adenomyosis isn't really causing adhesions, right? Because it's inside the the uterine uh, muscle itself. Um, how did I get diagnosed? I bought the test from Smart SIBO test and I am trained to interpret the lab results so I could interpret it myself. Um, oh, it's moving so quickly. Oh, okay. Jill, so you you sent the question about the um either the one when you retest, should it be two weeks or one week, or how to test for SIBO in the UK? 
but either so either way I've, yeah I've answered that and I'm gonna post this I'm gonna post this back up onto my Instagram TV um best diet prevention so really it depends what's going to work for you but um so I'm just reading another message that came through okay got it got it um so omega-3 fatty acids high dose curcumin high dose um high dose vitamin c um a detox formula have i got my detox formula here no i don't my detox formula. i use um in vivo they have a good detox formula it's called endotox and it binds it helps to clear the endotoxins immunoglob immunoglobulins they will bind the endotoxins charcoal will absorb some of that gas if you're bloating um ginger um up to two grams of ginger a day can help with the headaches if you're struggling with that saunas at home pop-up saunas you can get an at-home pop-up sauna that literally like you put it over a chair and you sit in it for about 100 pounds you can get those or 150 epsom salt baths is so 600 grams of epsom salts um in a bath two to three times a week will draw out the toxins um those are the main ones that i use but there are others that you can use as well and i'm pretty sure dr c becker on her website she has videos on the elemental diet and in there she has a section on diet so you could watch that that's free um all right guys i'm gonna wrap up because i haven't eaten dinner and i'm starving and i've been talking for an hour and my brain is starting to fry but i think i caught everyone's like most of the questions that came through and the ones that were submitted beforehand um but yeah let me know was this helpful would you like another update in the future um i'm just trying to what do, oh libby what do i think about the low fodmap diet for SIBO? um i'm not a huge fan of it to be honest personally um because it's not totally low carbohydrate and a lot of people with SIBO tend to need to go that extra mile. It's just low in the fermentable carbohydrates. Um, but for some people who have low symptoms, then then it can be fine, right? Low, fat, low FODMAP can be good for people who don't have crazy SIBO symptoms, but for someone who isn't feeling enough of a, a result then they could move on to SIBO by phasic or SIBO specific food guide um I will also say the reason why I don't love the low FODMAP diet is that people get put on it and they can't it's supposed to be temporary right it's supposed to be um a therapeutic diet you're not on long term but unfortunately you're supposed to expand and people can't expand because they get stuck because every time they try to expand their symptoms flare up again and it's because they've been put on this low FODMAP diet without being tested for SIBO and most of the time 70% of the time IBS is SIBO so then people get put on this IBS diet and left to their own devices and the SIBO is still there so people cannot expand their diet again and they just live on this restricted diet so I have people come to me who've been on this low format diet for years and it's not it's not supposed to be that at all it's a couple of months at the most so um 
low FODMAP, temporary diet. I don't feel that it's super effective for SIBO, but it can be for some people. Yeah, I hope that helps. All right, thank you for all of your lovely, lovely feedback. And I'm glad it was helpful. I'll do an update. I'll let you guys know what my test says. Amina, there is gonna be this plus a whole load more in the SIBO module in the course. So don't worry, there's gonna be so much more to this. Um, so thank you guys for joining me. I'm gonna post this on um, Instagram TV so you can recap on it. And yeah, thank you so much. It was lovely seeing you all guys. Bye. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Music